Bible. It's disappointing that I keep post- postponing Esther. We are going to finish up Esther. We're going to hit it. Next week, we'll get going on that. <sighs> I really plan to do it next week. But you've heard that lie before. Okay, so we're going to talk about, I wanted to talk about grumbling. I, wanted to, I was thinking about Thanksgiving and, 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 and gratitude, and the opposite of that is grumbling. And I want to talk about that for a little bit, because I don't think people talk about it too much. And I titled this, Grumbling, the Death of Thankfulness. And I want to read here from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So as we look at that, and I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you did. I've talked to a few people. Sounds like it. And being thankful, being thankful is, in a sense, in Scripture, oftentimes, thankful and grateful come from the same word. They have to deal with that word charis, uh, which is grace. And a thankfulness and, and, and gratefulness is a form of grace. And the opposite of that is grumbling. And here Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And I, 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 my first thought about that is, I think, how am I doing on that one? Do everything without grumbling. It's kind of amazing that Paul says that. Do everything. I mean, that sounds like a pretty tall order to do everything. Could he be serious on this? And I think he is. And so what would it be like for us to take this seriously? You know? And so for me, what I try to do is I always try to think about things in small chunks. What could a, a smaller chunk that I can handle? So that if you think about this, just think about maybe the idea that for one day you're going you're gonna to strive to go one day without grumbling, one day, a no complaint day, say tomorrow, say you're going to say tomorrow, Monday, which the Monday after Thanksgiving can be a tough day not to grumble. And so think about that tomorrow, your alarm goes off and you start the day, no grumbling. All right. When you look in the mirror, no matter how bad it looks, no grumbling. All right. When you get in your car and you drive, say to work, no matter what kind of car you drive, no grumbling. Or if you don't have a car, maybe you get on the bus, no grumbling. Or if you walk, no grumbling. And then you're at work, and it's work, no grumbling. At your school, at your desk, whether you're at home, no grumbling. When you eat, whatever it is that you eat, no grumbling. When you get on a scale, no matter what the numbers say, no grumbling. That's a hard one for me. When you face a cranky person tomorrow... Whether you're married to them or their family or it's someone at work, but when you face that cranky person, no grumbling. When difficult times come, and they will, no grumbling. When your computer takes forever to boot up, God forbid that it takes 15 to 20 seconds of waiting so that a virtual universe of knowledge is at your fingertips, no grumbling. When your cell phone coverage is spotty for a few seconds, Oh, what a burden to bear, right? For a moment, you're not an instant potential communication with every human being on the planet. How can I live without that? No grumbling. When you can't find the remote control because those stinking kids of yours lost it again. And you have to walk all the way over to the TV set like people did in the olden days and turn it on manually and then this happened to me the other day. I got to the TV set and I said, 
I can't turn this on manually. And if I could, I still can't change one channel. So you go back and you sit in your Barca lounger and grumble. What if we went one day? Just one day. We really tried to do that. And here's the deal. We can do these things sometimes in short spurts, but to do it over a long period of time, to do it like Paul's talking about, is, is an incredibly tall order. That's incredible to think that that is even possible. And it isn't. It isn't. Apart from the Spirit of God being evolved in your life and changing you from the inside out, it is not possible. But Paul is saying, when we have the Spirit, it, it is something that can happen because grumbling is a, is a reflect, it's, it reflects my spirit of ingratitude. It's a way of rationalizing my disobedience to God. Grumbling chokes the heart. It clouds my vision. It cuts me off from joy. And in a community, even in a little community like a marriage or a friendship or a family or a workplace or a church or a small group, grumbling is toxic. It's like relational cancer. It's, it, it, it's contagious. And God says in the Bible that grumbling is a sin. And he takes it quite seriously. He says in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And where there's futility and foolishness, ingratitude always follows. And so when Paul says, do everything without grumbling, let me just say he does not mean this. He does not mean that we go through life with a chronically negative, complaining spirit, but we just don't say it. He's not saying that. He's saying there's a way of dealing with that spirit and changing that. So you don't have to say, oh, don't grumble. Come on, you know better. Don't. It just doesn't happen. Because something has been changed inside of you. And the only way to stop it is to truly have a grateful heart and a thankful heart. See, it's not some kind of hallmark thing or sentimental thing. It means we're humble enough to say, I owe a debt to God I could never pay back. And I owe a debt to so many people that I could never pay back. That I will go through life with a humility And I will live with a fierce appreciation of creation. And I will live with a generous spirit. This is what I want in my life. This is what I want in my life. Now, I know everyone wants to be grateful. There's nobody who goes around and goes, I want to be ingrateful. I want to be ungrateful. All right? I want to be an ungrateful. That's what I meant to say. But the question is this. How are you going to do that? How can that happen? Nobody drifts into gratitude. We all have a problem. I think this, is, this kind of gets to the core of it. We all have a problem when it comes to gratitude. We all tend to think that I will be grateful as these things happen that make me grateful. And we start to link gratitude, even subtly, without thinking it through. We link gratitude to circumstances. We link gratitude to what I have and what I've got. And so I will be more thankful and more grateful as I get more stuff or things or something that I want. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because that's not how things work out. Increased increased gratitude doesn't come from increased gratification. It doesn't work that way. We think it does, but it doesn't. It actually goes the other way around. Paul, he says in here, he says, do everything without grumbling or 
or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. I love that phrase where he says you shine like stars in the universe because it reminds me, it reminds me of being in Arizona on some of these missions trips and, and no electricity for miles around. It's changed some since then. And laying down at night to sleep, we sleep out under the stars. You lay down at night asleep and you, it's like, wow, can someone turn the lights off? It's so many stars that it's almost bright from the stars to see see them so clearly. And he says, I want you to be like that. I want you to have gratitude no matter what the circumstances you inhabit. It's not a matter of my circumstances. It's a matter of the person that I become. Who am I becoming? How am I changing? Not how am I changing my circumstances. How am I changing And Paul talks a little bit about this later in this book of Philippians. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul says, look, I know that my circumstances are not the key to my gratitude. They're not the, my circumstances aren't the key to me being a thankful person. And what's going on here is the Philippians had sent Paul some financial support to help him in his ministry. And he wanted, to know that, he wanted them to know that he was grateful. This book is like based on a thank you note. Remember when you were a kid and, and you would get things and, and have a birthday party and your parents... I hope some of you remember this. I hope some of you had parents that did this. Your parents made you write thank you notes to the people who gave you gifts, and that was so difficult to do. It was brutal. We have here a book. Thank goodness Paul's mom taught him to write thank you notes because this is where Philippians came from. And Paul is saying here, contentment, gratitude is not something I experience if I get enough, enough of the things that I want, if I get enough gratification If my circumstances go well, he's saying, no, contentment is a learned skill. It's a a mindset. And I have learned the secret of being content. That's what Paul's telling us. And so we have this paradox here. Very often, people who have the least can be the most grateful and the most thankful. People who are struggling in their circumstances oftentimes can be incredibly thankful and grateful people and be living above their circumstances. And he says, that's what I've learned how to do. I was reading a, a study uh, done, this group, and, and uh, they were talking about the correlation between how old you are and how grateful you are. And it was very interesting to see, and this is just one study, and you know, there can be a lot of different ideas on this, but it was interesting in this thing that they, what they were saying is the older you get, the more grateful you are which is kind of weird when you think about it. The more wrinkled your skin, the more gray hairs you have, the worse your vision, the flabbier you get, the more stuff in your life that doesn't work anymore, the more your heart is filled with gratitude. That seems the opposite, doesn't it? And they were saying that, at least in the group they were studying, the group that was the mo- had the most thankfulness and gratitude in their lives were people in their 70s. 
So in a 30 years or so, I have something to look forward to. I'm really excited about that. <sighs> they were saying the people, what they were experienced the least amount of gratitude was when they were at work. You know, doing whatever they do for work or sitting at a desk working on a computer. And the people who were experiencing the most gratitude, oftentimes it was when they were playing or exercise. Or interestingly, they had the category, because so many people who, in that group did it, when they were praying. And so the lesson here is, if you want to experience more gratitude, don't go to work. No, don't do that. Because I know some of you will say, hey, my pastor said I shouldn't come. Workers come. Um... But it's, this, it's an interesting thing that how this works, because it seems like the, as, as you get older, you'd be, things are breaking down. Things aren't working right. Life isn't good. No. And yet they say those people oftentimes have more gratitude. They have more gratitude. And so we have to learn how to experience things like work as a gift, as a gift, as, as something that we are able to do and we're thankful for. And we know this, right? We know this. We know that there's people around us that don't have jobs. And a job would be a gift. We know there are people who don't make enough money to feed their families or have a place to live. And if they could wake up tomorrow and have a job and have enough food and not have to worry about those types of things, they would be thrilled. God, thank you. Thank you. And yet, for us, these gifts, we take them totally for granted. I was um, standing in line at the bank a few weeks ago. Standing in lines do not fill me with gratitude. I just want to say that. I'm terrible about this. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm, if I really boil it down and be honest, I feel like I'm entitled to not have to stand in a line. I'm way too important, right? I'm too busy. I'm too, I shouldn't say important, too busy. Maybe that's better. No, it's because I think I'm too important. That's what it is. Let's not be humble here. All right. So, I don't, and, and I'm terrible with lines. I, and we've, yeah, I've told you guys, I go to, I'll, I'll go to a, the grocery store, right? And there's a lot of people in line and I'll have my cart and I will scan. I have a checklist of about six things I go through when I scan lines. First of all, I want to know the age of the cashier because certain ages work faster than others. Secondly, if there's somebody standing near the cashier, that means they're a learner, not that line. Not that line, right? Then I scan carts. How full are the carts? Because you could see a line that could have four people, but if they don't have full carts, they're going to go faster, right? You, got, you guys need to learn this stuff. This is incredibly important, all right? And then there's, there's all these things that I look at. You know, I look at the self-checkout area, and, you know, and I, I see that, but my problem is too many times the self-checkout area, somebody's got a full cart, which means they're scanning and loading and unloading all by themselves with no help forever, all right? So I look at all those things, and then this is the worst thing, because I'll choose a line. I'll go, that one, that one, this one. And then I'll notice who I would have been behind in that line. And as the line moves, uh, and if they get out ahead, I'm like, I feel like I've been cheated. None of you do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm a freak. I did not realize that. That's so weird. Anyways, that's how I feel in lines. I hate lines. So I'm going, I'm at the bank. I'm at the bank where I let them hold my money and I let them make money off of my money in that bank. 
and I'm in this line, they don't have enough tellers, and it's going slow. And I'm just like, you know, trying to calm myself down. And then I hear someone behind me, no, you can go to the front. No one will, no one will mind. And it was like, I just wanted to go. I know someone who will mind. <laughs> I hadn't looked, you know. And I turned around, and it was a person on crutches who obviously was in pain and dealing with some significant problems. And all of a sudden, I was like, and it was like God saying to me, Bob, that guy, if, if, just like this, all that could be removed from his life, he would be thrilled to stand in this line pain-free, without having crutches, without having to think about a wheelchair, without having to think about any of those things. He would be thrilled to stand behind you. And I said, oh, you're right, God. You're right. I am complaining over the fact that I'm healthy enough to stand in line pain-free and worry about a few minutes of my time. Now, we know this goes on all the time in our world. We have folks we know. We have folks here who are struggling with these types of things. People who struggle with disability or illness or pain. Or people who care for those who do. And I want you to know, you're the ones, Paul said, who shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life by what you do and how you care for people. You teach us about gratitude. You are heroes. And so we want to be grateful. We want to learn to be grateful. We want to be like Paul. When our kids were little, we would sometimes you know, pray with them. And, and one time we told them, um, I want you guys to think of one or two things that you're thankful for. And we're going to pray and you're going to tell God what you're thankful for. And Derek, our oldest, you know, he's just boom, boom, boom. So it was prayer time. He says, God, thank you for this. And thank you for my Star Wars cards. And thank you for this. And thank you for that. Thank you. Amen. And then we get to Reagan. Now, Reagan is our stream of consciousness prayer. She hadn't thought of a thing. So she just said, God, I thank you for my doll and my pillow and curtains and just kind of stream of consciousness, just kind of rambling. And inside, I'm like, come on, come on, let's go. I said three, maybe four, not, not a laundry list, you know. I don't want to go through your socks and your shirts and your, you know. And, and, and we all laughed about it later. You know, Bev and I laughed at Reagan behind her back later. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I remember one time thinking, you know, there's a gratefulness in that that I don't know very well. A gratefulness for the plain things, for the, the things that I take for granted, for the things that are so, you know, to thank God that I have a bed to sleep in, to thank God for comfy chairs when Bob runs long, right? To thank God for the simple things. I go right past those things. I don't even think about them. Why? Because I think I'm entitled to them. I take them totally for granted. And yet, when we think about these kind of things, we can have two people in the exact same circumstances. They could have the same job. They could go to the same school. They could stand in the same line. They could worship in the same church. And yet, one of them will be filled with gratitude, and the other one will grumble. 
And it's because what some people perceive as a right, other people perceive as a gift. And that's a key difference. For me to be grateful, I must see that I'm getting gifts that I don't necessarily deserve. Because as long as I feel like I'm entitled to something, I will not be grateful for it. Because I deserve it. And I think I, I could, we can all struggle with this at times in our lives. Even so something as simple as praying for a meal, right? Have you not, I notice this with me. I pray, when I pray over a meal, it's, just, it's like autopilot. I just say oftentimes the same things. Time after time after time. When I first came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I was trying to figure out this Christian thing, and, 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 and people are telling me, you know, there's rules and you know, it's all this stuff, and I, you know, they didn't say, here's the rules. It just was understood, here's the rules, you know, and God is, God is holy, and we need to always be somber and respectful in front of God. So one time I sat down with a couple of guys that, that, that were, we were in a small group together, and we were going to eat something, and a guy just said, one guy just said, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay, God. And they started eating. And I, in my like two-month-old faith, was horrified. I was like, how can you talk this way to God? You know, how can you do this? I was so horrified. And, and, but then I started thinking about this. Late, uh, not so long ago, I came across this uh, in Israel. The rabbis actually had different blessings. They, as they figured out how to pray, pray over a meal, oftentimes they prayed for each part of the meal as they came to it because it often came in, in you know, different sections or different, different parts of the meal. And so if, if there was to begin with a bowl of grapes, the rabbi would say, you know, oh, Lord, we thank you for thinking of grapes for our enjoyment. We bless you, Lord. And then they'd eat the grapes. And then it'd come along, maybe then would come the bread, and they'd say, oh, Lord, we thank you for carbohydrates. Or they wouldn't say that, but, you know, we thank you for bread. You are the God who created carbs, right? And we love them. And they would come to the Brussels sprouts, and they had nothing to say. That's all I want to say is Brussels sprouts came from the fall. They're not in the Bible. (laughs) There's one vegetable, Brussels sprouts, and there's one animal. I'm not going to mention the animal because I know it offends some people. Um, Anyway, what were they doing? What were they doing when they did this? They wanted to cultivate thankfulness, and they wanted to break it down. So it wasn't this generic blanket thankfulness. They actually thought through the things they were being thankful for. That's an interesting concept for us, to stop sometimes and think about, break down the things we're thankful for. Now, I know what's happening. Some of my kids are here, and they're like, oh, great, next meal, dad's going to thank God for every specific bean and meat. And No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But that's a great idea. That's a great idea, to, to enumerate, to rehearse in your mind the things that you can be thankful for, because that's what the rabbis were trying to do. Every bite of food is a gift from heaven. And when we start to have that kind of a humility, humility, it, it just brings the gratitude out. You can't help it. When we're humble, we will be grateful. When I'm grateful, I'm joyfully in someone's debt. 
I, have, I, I realize I have received something that I'm not entitled to. Because entitlement kills gratitude. We we're at a time where we have more than people have ever had in the history of the world. And yet, it seems, anyways, like we're less grateful at the same time. We have more, and we're less grateful. One of the stories I think is kind of amazing in the New Testament is, is, is uh, in this passage from the Gospel of Luke. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Master, have pity on us. Now, they did that because that's what the law required. If you were a leper, you were not allowed to enter into society with people on a personal level. You, you, were, you were shunned. You were estranged. You had to be. Everybody was afraid. It was a communicable disease. So that if a man who had a wife and children suddenly started showing the signs of leprosy, they would, they would put him in, into like, you know, isolation to see if it developed. And if it did, he's gone. Never to meet with them again. It, only from a distance. And so what these people, are, is they're yelling from a distance because they know that if they come closer, they could be harmed. They could be killed for breaking this law. And so they say, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were clean. They were cleansed. It's interesting. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. And they're looking, they're going, why? You only show yourself when you're cleansed. And Jesus didn't cleanse them first. He said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, are they going to step out in faith and obey him? And so they did. And it says, on the way, they were cleansed. And so it's, it's key here how God, you know, God does things, but he wants us involved in it. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. It's interesting they put that in there. Luke makes sure that we recognize that point. Jesus asks, were not all ten clean? Cleanse? Where are the other nine? No one, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So here we have this interesting story. I, I like this because it is very human. Ten lepers see Jesus. They cry from a distance. He gives them this, just what we read. And, and here's the thing. I guarantee you this. If you went and found the other nine and said, are you not grateful? They would say, of course we're grateful. Are you kidding? Thank God we're grateful. What happened? They were cleansed. They showed the priest. They ran home to tell their loved ones. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You've been separated from your family because of this disease that is a death sentence on your life and you are cleansed and you are so excited. You go home and you tell them, look what God did. But here's the thing. Only one turned around and went to Jesus. Only one said, thank you. Thank you. Because there's an enormous difference between feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude. Nobody thinks they're guilty of ingratitude. If I told you, are you thankful to have a nice bed to sleep? Hopefully you have a nice bed. If you're thankful to have a nice bed to sleep on, you would say, of course I am. It's a wonderful thing to have a nice bed. 
I've had lousy beds before, so I know when I have a nice bed, I'm thankful. Of course I am. But see, there's a difference between feeling gratitude and expressing gratitude. We all think we're grateful, but we are more ungrateful than we know. And one of the reasons is, is if somebody comes to me and says, Bob, you're ungrateful, what do I do? I think about all the times that I am grateful, all the times that something good has happened to me. I think, no, you're wrong. You don't know me. I felt grateful lots of times. I mean, I don't blab about it all the time, I don't want to get, but I don't want to get credit for it. I'm grateful. But Andy Stanley says this. I think this is an, is an important thing for us. The problem is that people in your life experience unexpressed gratitude as ingratitude. Because expressing the gratitude is what is so key in this situation, especially when it involves other people. You can say how grateful you are, but if that person who has done something has never heard it, that's not how they take it. People around you, especially in a family or in marriages, but at work, maybe your spouse, maybe a friend does you a favor, fixes you a meal, runs an errand, and if somebody asked you about it, you would say, of course I feel grateful. But you have to say I feel grateful to that person. It's not enough just to feel it. Ten guys get healed. One comes back. And the one that comes back is the Samaritan one. Why? Because of all of them, he's the one who knows most intimately, most forcefully, I don't deserve this. If I had yelled, Jesus, have mercy on me, and he spit on me, no one would think that was wrong. Because he's a Samaritan. They're horrible people. And so he has this sense Man, look what God did for me. Look what Jesus did. Look what a Jew did for me. If you want to get a handle on that, just think Israeli-Palestinian. Just think the hatred that's going on in that situation right now. And suddenly one of them breaks the mold. And so he healed me as if I was one of his own. And so he said, I have to stop. I have to tell him. I can't let him a moment go by. And so he came back. So 10 are healed. One comes back. And the question then becomes, how much am I like the nine or the one in my life? Because it turns out the best way to experience more gratitude is to express more gratitude. And that's something we can work on. I did this not too long ago. I just wrote it out. And it's just, it's kind of silly at times, but I just said, God, thank you for waking me up this morning because you didn't have to. Thank you for the four walls of my room, and they're, they're not the four walls of my casket. Thank you that I get to go another day ten toes forward and not ten toes up. Thank you that when I got out of bed, there was food in the kitchen, there was clothes in the closet, there's water when I turned the faucet on. Thank you that my body still mostly works. Thank you that outside the sun came up again and the birds were singing and the trees are still growing. Thank you, God, for doctors and nurses and medicine. Thank you for the teachers who taught me and the farmers who grow stuff and the people who fix things and people who write things and people who clean things. Thank you, God, for this church, that I can be a part of it, for the spirit who guides me and for the cross that blesses me with mercy, for the work that I get up, get to do has meaning. Thank you. Thank you that when my last days come and my eyes close, Jesus will be with me and my real life will just be beginning. 
I have a hope that I don't deserve. I didn't think it up. And I see that every beat of my heart, every breath that I take is a gift. Thank you. Paul says, do everything without grumbling. But don't just express gratitude to God, although that's a good thing to do. Just to be reminded constantly to thank God. But also, I think God may be calling you to thank other people, to express gratitude to other people. If your parents are still around, express gratitude to them. I never forget, my wife and I had five kids going through with my wife seeing her give birth to these five kids that I love more than anything in the world. And then one day thinking, my mom went through that for me. All of a sudden, I was just thinking, man, all those years of feeding and clothing and worrying and teaching and praying for me, and I think I'm self-sufficient? So I would encourage you, when this service is done, if there's someone that you love, like guys, if there's a woman you love, before you get home, just say thank you and enumerate one or two things that you are very thankful for with that person. Now, I know what's going on in your head. I know you're thinking, "Uh uh-uh. If I do it right now, she'll know it's because you told me to. I'll wait, and then she'll forget about it, and then when I do it, she'll think it was my idea. No, she won't. She will know. It could be a year from now, and you say, honey, thank you for it. It's like, Bob told you that a year ago. What took so long? <laughs> That's what it'll be. So just do it now because of the expression. And, and, and you know, husbands to wives, wives to husbands, boyfriends, whatever the relationship is, someone that you love. But do that. Because here's the thing. There are people that God has brought into your life that have done incredible things in your life and helped you grow. And we are not good at saying thank you. About a year ago, my wife and I went to a funeral. And we met people who had impacted our lives 40 years ago. 40 years ago, we not met, I mean, they were there. And I had a chance to go to a couple people and say, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for what you did for me for the fact that you trusted in me, for the fact that you thought you saw hope in me. I mean, I tell you guys I was a pretty crappy kid, and you, a lot of you were like, yeah, Bub's being humble. I wasn't. I mean, I, I, I was. And, and, and I remember in college, there, I remember, this is a sheer thing. I remember in college, there was, there was these RAs, you know, and, and they were in charge of the dorm. And it's a Christian college, right? And so I, one time I went to ask the RA something. I was always getting in trouble. I went to ask the RA something, and his personal journal was open on his desk. And I know you're, I, you know, I know it's not according to Hoyle to do this, but I looked because I saw my name. And I was on a prayer list of people who needed to get saved and whose lives needed to be turned around because they were causing so much trouble at this Christian college. And uh, I, I think back at people who took a chance on me when I was a jerk and how it's changed my life, how it has changed my life. And at this funeral, there was a couple of them there that I got to speak to and just say thank you 
You may not remember this, but you said this to me. You may not remember this, but you did this to me. You may not, and I remember. Thank you. Because expressing gratitude creates more gratitude in our lives. And that's the great thing about it. It's a joyful debt that never gets paid off and never wants to get paid off. Do everything without grumbling. Do everything without grumbling. Why would we not want to do that? Who wants to grumble? Who does grumbling recreationally? It's not, it's not that enjoyable. He says, do everything without grumbling. Cultivate gratitude and thanksgiving in your heart. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. And it's easy to let it stop there and then get into the, the rush and the hustle and the bustle and the lines of Christmas. <laughs> All right? So cultivate this in your lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this man that went back. Lord, we know all ten were grateful. But he expressed it. He expressed it. And help us to be like him. Help us to be people who see how much you've done and are grateful to you and to others and express it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take an offering. And uh, again, I want to say, if, if you're new here, if you're a guest here, we're not asking you to give. Um, this is what our regular tender, 